Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So if you'll remember, several episodes ago, we highlighted a review on the podcast of someone that went by the name of Fist of Midgets. And we made a promise that if anyone could come up with a better username than that and leave us a review that we'd highlighted on the podcast. And I'll tell you what, I think somebody pulled through. We got a new review this last week titled Great Podcast, and the username is Fist of Normal Sized Humans. I think this person must understand our type of humor because we laughed pretty hard when we saw that. So I'm going to read it. Uh, It says, definitely worth checking out. These guys are doing a great job putting this information out. Some other reviews have said the guys are biased to the left, and I don't really see that at all. They do a great job getting into the macro and micro of Collapse in its various forms. I have always found Collapse to be extremely interesting and have learned quite a bit more from these episodes. One thing that really stood out to me was how throughout many of the episodes they both bring up that it isn't a happy subject. And it's not something that everyone can handle or that people will handle this information in different ways. And to keep that in mind when you discuss the topic, keep up the great work, guys. It's appreciated. And we appreciate you, fist of normal sized humans. And, you know, we really do try and keep it neutral when it comes to like our political thoughts. But that is a really hard thing to do in topics like this. And, you know, we never want to turn anyone off to the conversation because they might get the feeling that we lean one way or the other or that we're on the left or on the right. It's kind of funny because the truth is I don't actually really know where I'm at. For like transparency, you know, I grew up very conservative in a conservative family. And now I'm trying to navigate and figure out where I'm at. But it doesn't matter. You know, collapse, as we've talked about it, is going to happen. And as we're working through these topics, and if some political thoughts come out and it puts us on the left or the right, we hope that that doesn't turn anyone off to this. 
I know I'm always up for civil discourse and debate. I like hearing all sides of a story, and I hope that as a listener, you're okay hearing our points of view as well. Yeah, it's funny. I think we've been accused of leaning too heavily to the right by some and accused of leaning too heavily to the left by others. And it seems like there's something almost ironic in the fact that we have talked at length about the problems associated with political polarization. Right from episode one, you introduced Collapse to Me by saying that it is difficult to share with others and that a lot of people have expressed frustration in trying to bring it up with their family or friends. And so you would think that anyone who is collapse aware would, based on their experience, want to be the most tolerant of other opinions and the most understanding and open-minded and willing to listen if somebody disagrees with them. So if anything I say, or I guess if anything you say, Corey, doesn't align with the political opinions of somebody out there, hopefully that doesn't detract from the content we're trying to provide. Anyways, that was one little line in the review, and we kind of went off on a tangent there. Yeah, and you know, speaking of drawing ire from an audience, I think today's topic is definitely going to stoke some feelings amongst those in the Collapse community, and I'm sure, without a doubt, that there will be people who listen to this episode and do not agree, and there will be others that listen to this episode and do agree, and that's okay. But we decided today to take on the question that's frequently brought up and debated and argued over in the subreddit, our collapse, and that is the ideas around overconsumption versus overpopulation, and which one is really to blame for our current unsustainable path towards collapse. I'm glad you called that out from the beginning. I've got a lot of thoughts on this topic, and you know, with past episodes, you introduced me to collapse, and since then, there's been some episodes that I do the bulk of the research, others where you do the bulk of the research, Corey, but this is a discussion that you saw a lot of people diving into on the subreddit, and I didn't really know anything about, and so I try to do a lot of research on the topic. And the aim here isn't to say which side is the winner or even necessarily which side we agree most with. Frankly, I think it's silly that there's even a debate about it, and we can talk more about that. But diving in, according to IMDb, the highest grossing blockbuster film of all time is Avengers Endgame. And the whole Marvel universe, I've seen all the movies. I don't know a lot of detail or a lot of backstory. I've never gotten that deep into it. But you don't have to know that much about all the characters to know that the basis of the storyline is that there is a villain named Thanos and he He wants to collect these gemstones that give him all power so that he can reduce the population by 50% across the universe in order to save all living things in the universe, right? He wants to wipe out half of all living things because we're running out of resources. So I think the most compelling villains in any story are the ones that actually make some valid points. And so I want to pause there and ask you, Corey, what is your take on Thanos's approach? Well, Thanos is like kind of the ultimate eco-fascist, right? He is the one who is going to take saving the planet into his own hands and do what he's got to do to make it happen. And it's interesting because there are people out there who agree with Thanos. There are people who I've talked to who have told me if they were in Thanos' position, they would snap their fingers and eliminate half the planet. And he believes he's doing so mercifully. They're not experiencing any pain. It's quick. They're gone. It's random. There's no prejudice. It's not about rich or poor or skin color or any of that. It's just poof, half the population is gone. And I always laugh because I'm like, good for you, Thanos. You just bought the universe like 60 years at the most, assuming that the universe is growing at the same rate as our population on Earth. We're doubling almost every 60 years. And so it's interesting to think about the amount of damage and devastation that's done by that act when really he's barely buying half a century's worth of time. 
When it comes to how I feel about Thanos, you know, we have talked in the past about how, you know, there's a carrying capacity. We've passed that carrying capacity. We're in overshoot and that overshoot will eventually lead to our collapse. We've talked about how we can either collapse on purpose and have it be, if it were a a lesser collapse, or we can continue on the path that we're going and continue to rise in population and consumption and all these different things until we eventually get to the point where collapse is forced on us by nature and it will likely be a much worse collapse. That being said, I'm not an eco-fascist, and I would never say that those types of decisions should be forced on people. That if we're going to degrow, that it's going to be done by force. You know, if humanity came together and said, we're going to lower our consumption levels, or we're going to lower our population levels by decreasing the amount of children that we have, or decreasing the amount that we're consuming, and that was democratically chosen, that would be the right path. I don't think that that's ever going to happen. That's why I think the collapse is inevitable. But Thanos is a villain for a reason. You know, I could go out and start murdering people. I could become a serial killer in the name of saving us from overconsumption and overpopulation. But I do not believe that that's morally right or the right way to go about things. Yeah, we'll talk later about some of the things that have been proposed for how to handle this issue. Some of them are more extreme than others. But that point that you just made, right, it is not morally acceptable to go kill people. You know, I think most people can agree with that. But some of the other proposed actions also get heavily debated and people are extremely sensitive about because it comes down to core values and what people think is ethically okay. So early on, you taught me about Overshoot. And I'll be honest, at the time, I was listening. I wanted to know your opinion. I wanted to hear any facts that you had, but I wasn't really buying into it. And it's silly. I don't know why this is the thing that finally caught my attention. But at one point, you said, we can't grow forever because at some point, we would all be standing nose to nose. We're on a finite planet. And you know, in my cartoon brain, I'm kind of picturing the globe completely covered in human beings. And clearly, we wouldn't be able to survive or exist that way. So I stepped it back in my mind and I thought, okay, where is the line? If it's not having one person per square meter across the whole face of the earth, what is the point at which the earth can't sustain us any longer? And there are so many factors that come into play when trying to predict that. There are about as many opinions on it as there are people talking about it. But some more sophisticated models say that we're 165% over the carrying capacity of the planet. And that's including population and consumption. And that keeps on growing. But you might totally disagree with that. You might say we're not even anywhere near the carrying capacity of the planet. But the issue isn't necessarily exactly how far under or over the carrying capacity we are. The issue is growth. And I'm frankly a little bit surprised to see that people debate whether overconsumption is the problem or overpopulation, because I think the problem is equal to how many people we have times the amount that they consume. They're both on the same side of the equation. And I think we could have many more people on the planet if we were consuming less. But at our current rates of consumption and at the rate at which we're growing, it's clear that we're headed on a dangerous path. And frankly, if you don't see this as an issue, either you don't know the facts or you think people are just going to willingly change their behavior, which kind of goes against the facts of what we've seen, or you have a lot of hope in technology, which so far we don't have a ton of evidence that we should hope that technology can save us. So there's a lot to unpack here, but as you've seen the conversations going on on the subreddit around this debate, what have you noticed? Yeah, great points. And like you said, we can kind of unpack all that through the episode. But the debate, it seems, is that you have one side that is basing everything off of sort of the Malthusian idea around it's about population, that we're simply going to outgrow our agricultural capabilities. There's too many mouths to feed. 
And on the other side, you've got people who are like, no, Malthus is wrong. Obviously, his predictions were way off, right? Because our technology grew with our population. The Haber-Bosch process, for example, allowed our population to explode because we were able to do that much more agriculture at scale. And so on the overconsumption side, they're saying it's not about how many people there are. We could keep growing in population. It's just that the people that we have are consuming way too much. And I have to agree with you, Kellen, in that the debate has always been a little silly to me because all that really matters is how much consumption there is between all the people that exist. I agree that it seems like we could have 8 billion people on the planet like we do now consuming at a very low rate in a sustainable way and probably make the population work. Whereas, you know, I feel like if it were strictly an overpopulation problem, we would have to be considering our consumption at a fixed rate. So for example, if we said humans have to consume X amount to survive, then overpopulation would kick into place once that many people consuming that much put us into overshoot. We are obviously not in that situation. And if we were, I think we could survive sustainably probably with 8 billion people. But because consumption isn't fixed, consumption varies widely based on the person. We're not only consuming what we need to to survive. We're consuming well above and beyond that, especially in the Western world, to a degree that the amount that we're consuming means we can have less people on Earth consuming that same amount to put us into overshoot. So to state it clearly, I think there is a point at which, yes, overpopulation is an issue. Like you said, at some point, we're standing nose to nose. So yes, population at some point is the problem. But I see it as a combination of both. We have too many people consuming far too much. I think that's exactly right. Each variable only matters as it relates to the other, right? X times Y equals Z. You can increase or decrease X or Y to get to whatever number you need to. But let's talk about some of the factors here. So as we grow in either population or consumption or both, that means increased land use. You know, Corey, you and I grew up in an area where you talk to anybody who's been around for a few more decades than you, and they're going to say, it's crazy to see how much we've grown. You know, this whole area used to be all fields and dirt roads in my day. It used to all be farmland. And that's happening all over the place. As we cover more land, that causes a loss of habitat for other species. And what also comes into play is an increased resource use. We're using up renewable and non-renewable resources, which is resulting in an eventual depletion of non-renewable resources. As we consume, there's waste, there's pollution, which further damages ecosystems and which is resulting in climate change. And the increased complexity of our growing society results in other societal issues. So really all the issues that we've been talking about up to this point in the podcast compound. And we're always talking about exponential growth in all these different areas. So there's a formula that was developed in 1970. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called IPAT or IPAT. Apparently, it came out of a debate between a handful of individuals. Most people attribute it to Paul Ehrlich, who wrote a really influential book called The Population Bomb. Anyways, IPAT comes from the formula I equals P times A times T, which is influence or impact equals population times affluence times technology. The first part of that, population times affluence, is a lot of what we're already talking about. How many people there are, how much they're consuming. He throws in the third factor, technology, which is interesting because many of the technologies that have been developed are the technologies that have allowed us to grow so rapidly. 
You think about modern medicine, modern agriculture, the technologies that allow us to use energy at a much higher rate. And so they cause a lot of growth in population, and many of them also result in a lot of pollution or the use of resources. And yet there are some technologies that reduce certain environmental impacts. And so I like that he throws that in there, because going back to our previous conversations on overshoot, you know, once you kind of overshoot the capacity of a certain area, you can move to another area or you can develop certain technologies, right? Which comes back to why people think technology will save us. Yeah, so just to clarify that, you know, we talked in a previous episode about how way back when hunters and gatherers, there was a certain amount of people that could live on any given amount of land, let's say per acre. And that number was relatively low because they were foraging natural growth. They were hunting animals sustainably. But once agriculture came about and they could start growing much more food in a much smaller area, that increased the carrying capacity of that same acre of land. And now globalization, transportation technologies, oil, all these other technologies that we have, we've dramatically increased the number of people that can live in an area. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. That formula is all about our influence or our impact on the larger ecosystem and the environment. And I think we fail to realize just what an insane impact some things have. So one example, the construction of a car has the following environmental impacts. 605,664 gallons of water for parts and tires. 682 pounds of pollution at a mine for the lead battery. And 2,178 pounds of discharge into water supply for the 22 pounds of copper contained in the car. And that's just the construction of a car, you know, let alone the actual use of the car. And supposedly around 200,000 cars are made every single day. Man, that is crazy to think about. And to me, it just ties back into this sort of question, or I guess the idea that both population and consumption are extremely tied together when trying to figure out what the root of the problem is. Because, you know, I think about the increase in technologies that we've had, and we've said multiple times in the podcast, without the level of complexity that we're currently at, which involves many of the technologies that we've produced, we couldn't maintain our current population size. And so it brings up this question of like, could we even possibly have this population size at a much lower consumption level? Or did we have to consume as much as we've consumed in order to reach this population? So I think it might be good to separate them as much as we can and maybe just try and take a look at population on its own and look at consumption on its own as much as it is possible to separate the two. Yeah, I like that. So let's talk about population then. If you look at a historical graph of the population of humans on the planet, it took hundreds of thousands of years to get to 1 billion people. And then from there, you see the line on the graph just basically goes straight up. So it's estimated that we hit 1 billion people in the world in the year 1804. 123 years later, that's when we hit 2 billion people. And then it only took 33 more years to hit 3 billion people in 1960. And then in the last 60 years, we've increased by almost 5 billion people. So the interesting thing about that is that our growth rate has declined. We're not growing at as fast of a pace. Yeah, I know in the 1960s, when it was at its highest, it peaked at around 2% growth rate, which would have meant we were doubling around every 30 years. And now it's almost half that at 1.05%, which last year it was 1.08. The year before that, it was 1.1. So it's a pretty steady decrease in the annual rate of growth. 
The way that we're trending, the United Nations says, you know, around 8 billion people now, they project that roughly 30 years from now in 2050, we'll be at 9.8 billion people. And that at 2100, we'll be at 11.2 billion people. And that's where they think it will level off. So the fact that our growth rate is decreasing gives some hope if you're concerned about overpopulation. What's interesting is that it varies drastically around the world, and it's in the most developed nations that we see the lowest growth rates. So going back to one of the numbers that we cited very early on, that some estimates say we're 165% of the Earth's carrying capacity. If that really is the case, if we really are that overpopulated already, you know, there's a lot of ideas around how we approach that. So this is where you get a wide range of opinions. You get some people who think that humans are just evil, that we're parasites, and usually those are the individuals that want to take a much more extreme approach. You talked about eco-fascism before. Do you want to define for us what that is, Corey? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Sure. And I'm sure some people will criticize me for saying eco-fascism. They'll probably say it's eco-fascism. I've been criticized for how I say many things on the podcast, and that's okay. But eco-fascism is basically a dictatorial government or an eco-fascist would be a dictatorial type person that would force people to make changes, basically sacrificing in order for the greater good of humanity and our ecosystems to survive. Yeah, and some of those individuals feel like war is a really good thing because it kills a lot of people. Famine, disease, you know, they feel like that's what we need more of. Some individuals have proposed that we stop vaccinating so that more people can die naturally of disease. Some advocate for us reducing the food supply, which seems harsh. But one interesting fact that I found is that more people die every year as a result of obesity than people that die as a result of starvation. So I think those that advocate for that are just saying we should reduce the amount of food supply in places that have an abundance of food. So that kind of crosses the line, right? Because now we're talking about consumption. But the most extreme individuals will say across the board, we should make sure there's less food so that more people die of starvation. On a less extreme level, they advocate for just more education and making birth control more readily available. We talked about how the most developed nations have the lowest growth rates. And in a lot of ways, you can point back to education and the availability of birth control. Yeah, and that makes sense. Basically, there's two ways that you can reduce a population. You can either increase the death rate or decrease the birth rate. And so increasing the death rate would be by killing people off, 
or just making people on average not live as long, which is the opposite of what we've been doing up to this point. Many technologies that we've created have been around increasing our medical capabilities so that people can live longer. And many technologies that we see today continue to be to try and allow people to live longer and longer. And on the other end, we see that birth rates are decreasing. People are having less children. And part of that may be that there's been an increase in birth control options in places that there previously wasn't. And I'm sure that a part of it is also a lot of people in the antinatalism crowd who have chosen to not have children based on their views of what the future holds. Yeah, let's talk for just a minute about antinatalism because it's a term that I had never heard until I started learning about collapse. I'll just read the definition. It's a philosophical position that assigns a negative value to birth. Antinatalists argue that humans should abstain from procreation because it is morally wrong. And I am by no means an antinatalist. I have kids. And, you know, maybe you just call it my way of justifying, but I don't see it as morally wrong. However, I can see where people are coming from. You know, every person who comes into the world has a significant impact on the environment, which means they contribute to other species dying. And with our trend toward more and more climate change, you could argue that each person who comes into the world is contributing to the suffering of future generations and the collapse of society. I know with the current state of the world and all of the problems that exist already, others simply feel like it's not kind or not ethical to bring a child into the world knowing that they are going to suffer a lot of the consequences that we've talked about. Again, that's not my personal viewpoint, but I can understand their perspective. Yeah, this topic is an enormously sensitive one, and it's one that I think we'll dive into more in a later episode. And like Kellen said, it's really important to note that we are definitely not advocating one way or the other. We don't prescribe on this podcast. I'm in the same boat as Kellen in that I have children. Up to this point, my kids have been born largely prior to my becoming collapse aware. But that being said, I don't know that that would have changed my decision to have them or not. And we don't need to get into the specifics about our personal lives or or how we feel about it. But I agree with you in that there's a strong argument for why having children does increase the amount of emissions and all the other consequences from consumption. And this is one point where I can really see the overpopulation side of view in our current situation because earlier I said if consumption was fixed, if everybody consumed the same amount, then population would be the issue. Because for those of us who live in the West, a lot of the consumption choices are kind of made for us, meaning it would be very difficult to live in the United States, for example, at the same consumption level as some do in other parts of the world. You know, I was born in a hospital with all of the technology and all of the emissions and all of the electronics and tools and everything that that involved. And I didn't really have a choice in that. And, you know, now my life, I drive a car, I use a computer, I shop at the grocery store, I use air conditioning, heat in the winter. And while those things all work to make me more comfortable, I also don't have a river nearby that I could go take a bucket to to drink out of. So I guess what I'm saying there is that my amount of consumption could only really decrease so much. And so therefore, I get the idea that having more children, especially in the Western world, is going to create a certain level of consumption. And with the amount of people that we have in the West consuming at the rates that they're consuming, even if it was at the minimum amount, still seems like it would be an awful lot of consumption and may still result in overshoot. I'm glad you bring that up. And I think it's a great segue into talking more specifically about consumption. I mentioned early on in the episode that I feel like we could have way more people on the planet if we would just consume less. 
And you mentioned in your comments just barely how varied the consumption levels are. You know, you talk about your personal consumption, and we can all make changes to do better. But some estimates say 70% of the consumption that takes place is companies, businesses. So we can have an impact, but maybe not as great of an impact as we would like. A couple of other thoughts around that. Somewhere around 60% of consumption is done by the wealthiest 10% of people. And the bottom 50% only do around 7% of the consumption. So what you're saying is if Thanos snapped his fingers and the bottom 50% of consumers disappeared, we would still be consuming 93% of the amount that we're consuming right now. To me personally, I think that is a huge point for team overconsumption because it just goes to show that decreasing the population is not necessarily enough. We have to decrease the consumption among that population. Yeah, well said. Those that advocate for changes in our consumption levels are quick to point to those facts and figures. If we could just get the wealthiest 10% to consume at the same level as most everybody else, I mean, the impact would be phenomenal. 59% of consumption is done by that top 10%. Some of the other approaches that have been suggested, you know, on the soft end of things, it's just educate people more. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. And I think the more the merrier in that regard. The more we can make people aware, the more likely it is that they'll change their behavior. I personally think we have to be careful in the way that we approach it. In an effort to try to promote change, I think sometimes it is pushed so hard that it comes across as, you know, humans are evil. It comes across really heavy-handed, and I think that pushes people away. I think they instantly discredit what's being said. Yeah, for sure. And it plays back into the whole idea of ecofascism, right? Ecofascism is not just about decreasing population. It's also about decreasing consumption. And a lot of people who advocate for these types of things are immediately labeled as eco-fascists because it comes across so heavy as if they want to force people to behave. And I think to me, this is one of the biggest dilemmas of this whole conversation. And another reason why I think the argument is a little bit silly to have in the first place is because the system that we're in requires growth to survive. And that's both population growth and growth in consumption. Our economy doesn't survive if our population decreases. And that's something that has actually been a legitimate worry and that a lot of economists talk about is our birth rates are decreasing. We don't have enough people to continue in the labor force. We don't have enough people, most importantly, to take on the debt of previous generations. If there aren't enough people to take on the debt, the system implodes. Same thing with consumption. If we're not having people taking on more debt, and by taking on more debt, they're spending more money on more things or producing more by starting businesses and taking on debt to do that, then again, the system implodes. And if you're confused about what I'm talking about when I bring up those two items, we talked about it in episode six, in which we described the needs for the system to continually grow in order to survive. So overpopulation, overconsumption, either way, I don't think the powers that be would ever let us go down a path where we would decrease one or the other. So when it comes to measuring consumption, there's different methods. But a lot of times when people talk about consumption, they just measure it based off of GDP per capita, which is interesting because GDP actually measures production, but it's assumed that consumption increases when production increases. And you're absolutely right. Our system is designed in such a way that if we decrease our production, it can't sustain itself. Collapse of the economy will take place. 
So I mentioned education, and that's one approach, making sure people are more aware. I think that's necessary. Another approach is just to change what we consume. Obviously, there's some ways to get energy that are cleaner and have less of an environmental impact than others. Or we've even talked about modern agriculture and the fact that, you know, to get one pound of beef takes so much more water, so much more energy than it does to get one pound of grain. Another factor that people point to is just the distribution of our resources. And what I mean by that is, you know, we think, hey, we're running out of food. We're not going to have enough food for people on the planet. But a lot of estimates say that half of all the food that we produce goes to waste. And that average is obviously dragged up by nations like the U.S., where not only do we consume way more, but we waste so much more. There is plenty of food to go around. There's plenty, at least currently, of water to go around if we weren't so wasteful in certain areas and if we could evenly distribute it. Going back to that inequality of consumption, supposedly if everybody in the world consumed as much as we do in the United States, we would need five more Earths. So I think we need drastic changes in how much we consume, and especially the wealthiest in the most developed nations are the ones that have the most accountability. Yeah, it's clear that the system is broken. If we had had sustainability in mind from the beginning, if we had you know the good of everyone in mind instead of greed and people taking advantage of each other and advantage of the ecosystems and our biosphere at whatever cost in order to become wealthy, if we had had better planning of where to put our cities and towns, of how to distribute the water and the food, then I'd like to believe that this isn't a conversation that we'd be having at this point. But the system is such that it protects those who consume the most because the ones that consume are the ones that run the system. They're in charge. They make the rules and the laws. And so it feels a bit like we're stuck. It can be discouraging because it feels like on a personal level, my choices and actions aren't going to make anything better. And it sucks to admit that. And I think it's important, like you said, that we do do what we can, especially living in the West. We are more accountable. But being one person and being so powerless does make it feel like if I'm going to speak up and say what has to happen in order for us to get out of this and advocate for those things to happen, I'm going to come across as an eco-fascist. I'm going to come across too heavy-handed. And so, you know, we sit here and we talk about the inevitability of collapse happening and feeling helpless to it and just having to sit and watch it all take place. And that's kind of the cruel reality that we're in. But it's kind of tricky to, to walk the line between sort of apathy and going all out to do every ounce and every bit that I can and dedicate my life to decreasing the amount I consume versus just giving up and saying, I might as well just go with the flow because it's not going to make a difference. And I appreciate that we don't, you know, prescribe certain behaviors on this podcast. We're not telling you as the listener that you're a bad person if you don't do this or that. You know, in the past, we've talked about the moral decline of society and the role that that plays. I think you're right in that if people just personally tried to act a little more in favor of the greater good, a little less greed, a little less selfishness would make it so that we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in right now. With all of this said, I know that we've kind of criticized those that argue about whether the issue is overpopulation or overconsumption. But there is one kind of interesting paradox in which I think it does matter which one you think is more of the issue because that changes our potential approach to fixing it. It's really interesting to think about because as a nation becomes more developed, birth rates 
decrease, which means if you want to level out the population or decrease the population, one of the best things you can do is help underdeveloped nations become developed. And yet on the flip side, as nations become more developed, they consume way more, which means way more resources being used, way more waste and pollution being produced. And so one of the best things you can do to help the population problem is one of the worst things you can do for the consumption problem. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And, you know, I was reading up on what happened during the pandemic this last year. And every year there's a day that's designated overshoot day. And that's the day of the year in which the world has overshot its budget based on resource availability. And it's interesting that in 2020, overshoot day was almost an entire month later than in 2019 because of the pandemic, the shutdowns, the decrease in consumption. The population didn't decrease by much. There was an extra couple million people that died more than usual years. But what really changed was the amount that those people consumed during that year. And that's what drove Overshoot Day back by a month. You know, you talk about morals and what's ethical. And to me, it seems like, and obviously the Thanos idea is not ethical, Increasing death rates by taking food away from people, by restricting access to medicines, those types of things are also not ethical. What is ethical to me is decreasing the amount of consumption done by that top 10% or that top 20 or top 50%. To me, it doesn't seem unethical to say, stop flying in planes so much, right? Or to somebody who lives in a 15,000 square foot mansion to downgrade to a modest three or 4,000 square feet. Like, that doesn't seem unethical to request that. Based on where we're at right now, when it comes to population and consumption, the ethical thing to do is for us to decrease our consumption. People can still live comfortably living with a tenth of what they have or a hundredth of what they have, especially when we're talking about the ultra rich. So to kind of wrap it up, you know, I feel like it's definitely an interesting conversation. I don't feel like it's one that's worth arguing over. I don't think it's one that's worth really focusing on when it comes to the semantics of it all. I think we can all agree we are overconsuming. I think that we could all hopefully agree that advocating for increasing the death rate is unethical. You know, we kind of came into this conversation saying that we weren't going to state our opinions too strongly. Hopefully we've been able to cover both sides of the issue. And clearly we have stated some of our opinions. And I think everything that you just said is valid. I think there are people that would disagree with you. And I think their arguments are valid as well. Because again, it just comes back to the fact that whether you see this part of it as the issue or this other part of it as the issue, clearly there is an issue. And if there's one thing that we can all agree on, hopefully it is that Thanos is a villain. Feel free to share your thoughts with us. We always love when people reach out, give us their feedback, their opinions. Also, if you haven't supported us on Patreon already, we sincerely appreciate it. You know, even just to cover the costs of publishing these episodes and using a software to make the proper edits. You know, I think we want to provide more and more value to those that are listening and especially to those that are supporting us. Yeah, just on that note, we got a few new patrons recently, and that's allowed us to switch editing softwares, which actually ends up saving me a few hours each week, which is then time that I can spend doing more research or coming up with more content or more quality content. And so that support means a whole lot to us. It also allows us to create better content for you as well. We're also looking forward to seeing what the username is of the next person who leaves us a review. The challenge has been issued, and we'll pick up the conversation again next week.
Yeah, I like that. So let's talk about population then. If you look at a graph... Look at this graph. <laughs> <laughs> you look like such a moron about Look at this graph. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.